This is Task Force N Radio, and I'm its host, John Crotech, advocate for humankind, education, and commerce. We are on a mission to create human healing on a massive global scale and to tell the stories of people who have dedicated their lives to making our planet a better place to live. Here you go. Our guest for today's episode of Task Force Zen Radio has probably one of the prettiest names on the planet, Munira Zahabi. That has a ring to it. It just It's like music. And she is also known as, some of you may know her, many of you maybe don't know her, but she goes by the niche navigator. And what she does is pretty extraordinary. She helps niche seekers, which are most of us, find their niches. Then she helps them to embark on the niches to riches, the voyage that allows her clients to implement their niche and thrive on so many different levels. Munira is a podcaster like me and a master interviewer on her show, Munira's Musings, who I was honored and humbled to be on a few weeks back. We had a great conversation. She interviews individuals who have found their niche. I'm still looking for mine, but she's been helping me. I watch everything she does and are adding value to others to enhance other people's lives. Manira's dreams evolved beyond simply being successful in creating and leaving a legacy that feeds the soul. She has impacted many lives over the years along the unfamiliar seas she has embarked upon. And that's so true. None of us really knows the future and we're working together to help each other find it. I love that. Munira is definitely ahead of the ball game. As a John Maxwell certified coach, Manira sought out growth and leadership development in earnest and saw an opportunity to help the newly certified coaches to find their own niches. Munira is focused on helping people grow strategically and evolve in all aspects of their lives, personally, spiritually, and professionally. And I'm humbled and honored to have her on our show, Task Force Center Radio. She's in Chicago and she got up early to do this for us. So, Good morning, Manira. I'm blessed to have you here. Thank you, John. Thank you for having me on your show. It's really amazing. What you do is really amazing. Well, I think we're both in the same boat. You know, I'm learning so much and and from people like yourselves that that inspire those of us out here that want to make a difference too. So that drive that you have had to have come from somewhere. Tell us a little bit about the Zahabi household. And what were your formative years and what was going on in your in your mind as you were coming of age? You know, there's a story in my family about Sakina, who is my grandfather's mother. She had married twice and she just, you know, lost both husbands and she took to the seas. And she would she would travel from India to uh, Africa. Not much is known about her, so we are always constantly looking for facts about who would know her, but all those people who know her have passed. So one day we'll meet her and talk to her about But the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, has lighted that fire under me. I am originally born and raised in Kenya, so we had three generations born in East Africa. I am a proud Kenyan. My parents are Tanzanians because they were born in Zanzibar. I pride myself because I love Kenya. I love both countries, but I love Kenya. <laughs> That's great. And you know what? what's really cool about that, Manir, is that you you've hit upon something right off the bat. 
the roots and to be proud of your roots. That's what you're saying to, to, to us right now. Be proud of that. You know, that's the heritage. You know, my father always says that it's the roots that hold the trunk up, right? And that's my grandmother, maybe my great grandmother, maybe have been that root. But I also came to know a lot of things from my mother. I lost my mother at a very young age. So I had to grow up very fast. I didn't realize when I turned around in life, my youth, my teenage years, my youth, as in, you know, when you're growing up and being mischievous at the age of 20, 21, all that was gone because by the time I was 24, I had four kids. I was married at 15. I was married, uh, you know, and I had four kids. And so that part of my life was just like a fast, a very fast train that just kept moving. My father came from a household. My grandfather was a rich man in Zanzibar. And my father and his brothers decided that it wasn't good for them to go to school because at that time, the teachers from India were were punishing them. So they would go and go to the farms, which farm their father owned so many, so nobody could find them. And they would come home in the evening, not finishing their homework and just be vagabonds. But my father understood the fact that growth and schooling was important. So he never let us slide a day without going to school. So that was instilled in us. That was something that my father put in us. And if we missed the day of school, oh, well, we would get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up in an era where, you know, uh, spare the road and spoil the child wasn't uh, some, it was in effect, you know? <laughs> so, well, you know, and you would definitely remember that. It would only take a couple of times and, and Munira and she knew what she had to do. So that's really that we know maybe we need more of that. And, you know, my parents were very hardworking people. So my father struggled. My mother did too. My mother had acute asthma and her medications were very expensive, but she, as an entrepreneur herself, she would, she was a seamstress. So she would sew people's clothes and she, you know, she was the neatest person ever. She made my clothes too. For a long time after her death, I couldn't wear any other person's clothes because they wouldn't fit right. She knew my body. And she instilled in me the fact that learning was a gift and helping others was a gift. Sometimes, you know, I would have, I saw her sometimes just cry because things that she was cooking for other people didn't come out right. And there was a waste and she would just cry, her ball, her eyes out. And I, I, I vowed to myself that I wasn't going to take to the kitchen like she did. Yeah, yeah. So I go into the kitchen and I come out. <laughs> it's a very small task and I do my work, but I'm not going to slave over the stove forever. That's not what I'm going to do. My love of learning also comes from her because she had to stop schooling when she was in second grade due to her asthma. At that time, that disease was considered very, um, I think they didn't know much about it. So everybody who had asthma were not allowed in school because it could be contagious. And uh, yeah, so yeah, she, yeah, would yeah. Read, she would read my school books, my, you know, all of my books that I had, she would read it and she would explain it to me so well that sometimes I wonder if she would be a teacher. 
So that love, you know, because th- that part of her was taken away. Her sisters went to school, but she didn't. And so she expressed and, that to you in, in, in a different way. And the, how many children were in your family? So I am uh, the middle child, and I am in between of two brothers. And both of them are either one, the older one is four years older than me, and then the younger one is four years younger to me. Nice. And they didn't see my mother as that. I mean, they were boys. Boys will be boys. But I was very close to my mom, and I realized that, you know, what she was missing is what I had to make up for. The other thing she instilled in me was other kids, right? Everybody knew everybody where you're growing up, and, the you know, it's the village that brings up the kids. And if a child from the village went to London at the time, and studied and came back as a doctor or as an engineer, which is the Indian thing to do, then she would always express that, oh, look, that child is so so clever. So I had to stand up to the standards. And, you know, part of me, it was taken away from me. When my mom died and my stepmom came into the picture and I was married off, that part was taken off, even though I was getting a scholarship to go to University of Cambridge in UK to study law. You know, my father married me off to somebody who was 18 years older than me. Okay. It's cultural? It's not cultural. It's what my stepmother had planned. Yeah. At that time, we were in the 80s, early 80s, and that didn't happen a lot. I mean, it's not something that happens in Africa. People are learned. I came from Kenya. I was married into Tanzania. Kenya was a modern city. Tanzania wasn't as much of a modern city. And, you know, so I, I for me, it was a culture shock from just going to the neighboring country. But I kept myself alive. There were hardly any libraries to go to or anything. But I would just soak up on books and learn. And you keep that drive because... There was something in me that didn't want that flame to die out. Sure. Yeah. And along the way, as I evolved and took on different roles of being a daughter-in-law and a sister-in-law and, you know, a mother now, and then I, I got very close to my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who lived in the same city. And I saw how she had suffered through her years because she had given birth. She, her husband died just before she gave birth to her last daughter. And she had struggled through life that way. And she never once said anything bad about her, her journey or she never cursed herself or she, you know, she didn't get angry. And she always had faith in God. If that is to be done, it will be done. And that's what his plan is. And I was like, how can you even say that? You know, many times I was very angry and we would have these conversations one-on-one. And I realized that she was a very, very wise woman. Very wise for her years. You know, she was, I think, born in the wrong era. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So many times we think that too. And, you know, I love the fact that anyhow, that that you, God, you know, God keeps the faith. God keeps your faith, your faith in God. And it has a certain resonance to it that is so true, especially when we 
we are on these journeys of of our lives and and you know i know anger all too well and if i didn't have a belief in something greater than me then it would have been more difficult let's just say that so how many children do you have i have four no i have four of my own and then a stepson but and and nine grandchildren should not let that go. Nine child grandchildren. The youngest is seven months old now. <laughs> so, well, you're certainly the youngest looking grandmother I know. So congratulations to you. Well, I started early. <laughs> <laughs> God has been gracious, you know. So. Oh, yes. I have been blessed. But many times, you know, we never see that. We never see the silver lining. And it took me, I think, the use of people keeps us blinded because we are so materialistic and we look at other people's accolades and think, how come I'm not there? But as you age in life and you become a little bit wiser, <laughs> I think <laughs> that's the I word. Do, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> then you realize that, you know, materialistic thing doesn't count. You are where you are in life because of the choices you make. You just gave me goosebumps. You, you know, that it's so true, you know, and it does. Why does it take me 60 years to figure this out? You know, and some people, it seems like they get it like right away, this passion or, or the, their purpose in life. You know, I guess so we're all on the different journey. And I guess it really doesn't matter because we're here now. You know, it, I think the reason we, he's been there all the time. He's been, he, you know, I think, the journey that I've had, you know, yesterday I met somebody and he said, oh, you know, it's shaped you. Everything that you've gone through has shaped you. And I, I sat there thinking last night for a while and I thought, really? Yes, it has. Because if I hadn't got married, if I hadn't lost my mother, I wouldn't have seen what a stepmother has. And it that step, her being in my life has allowed me to be a better stepmother to my stepson, you know, and be somebody that he can come and confide to me without being scared of me or, you know, speaking behind my back, yeah, if you yeah, will. Yeah. So it has shaped me in a lot of ways. The fact that, you know, my husband was older than me and... You know, me being, a I didn't know stuff. I, I don't know. I didn't know how to keep house. But I was 15. I was supposed to be playing outside, you know, <laughs> maybe go on a date. I've never been on a date. So, you know, but that's the thing. It's like I've never enjoyed that part of the life. Yeah. But it shaped me to be the sophisticated person that I am today to stand my ground and said, no, I'm not doing this just because you want me to. But it took a long time to get to this point. And I think we had, we had all these, um, God sent me all these messages, but we never know how to see the messages or take the hints. I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's so true, Manira. You know, sometimes when we're in these places that might not feel good or we're, we're uneasy, we don't really understand it. We've all got them. Ladies and gentlemen, you know we do. We don't really see what you've mentioned, the forest of the trees, the silver lining. And if you just can hang in there and learn and take it, maybe so cliche, one day at a time, the lessons are there for all of us. And that guy that you talked to yesterday, 
It's true. All of your parts are the sum of everything that you've experienced. And through those experiences, you become the niche navigator who you are today, not only helping others, but helping yourself in the process. And I, and I think that's a beautiful process. I, <laughs> my heart goes out, you know, so I love it. I, I resonate with that. So how did you get to the United States? How did that happen from Africa to here? There was a form that came out in the newspaper that I never knew about because I never bought the newspaper. But I did find out about it because I worked in a school as a teacher and our administrator was filling out all those forms and it had a particular requirement of how things had to be typed out. Remember typewriters oh, at yeah. that time? Yeah, Manual, <laughs> yes. So I had a clatter, clitter clatter one because I used to write back home, you know, back then. I used to prepare my school lessons and everything. And so she said, you know, I went in there and she goes, I'm filling out this DV1 form. And it was a program that started out with Bill Clinton where he allowed people from third world countries to come here. But there was a lot of requirements. Well, I filled out, I think, 17 applications that night. I finished about three o'clock in the morning because I needed to finish all of hers and then mine too. And I told my husband, I said, if I'm going, if I get, if we get to win, if we win this, are we going to America? And he goes, first win it. <laughs> then then start. worry about it, yeah. Yeah, so then the letters came. I didn't know about it because my mail came to my uncle's store and they opened the paperwork. Contrary to United States law that they don't, you don't open other people's mail. <laughs> you know, they opened up my mail and I was like, then they sent me a message saying, you have important paperwork, come and get it. Now, this is on Tuesday. I didn't figure this out until Saturday night when I went to the mosque for a celebration. I mean, the whole city, whole community in the church was like, congratulations. And I'm thinking it's a holiday. So, you know, everybody's like, hey, Merry Christmas to you. Congratulations. And I'm like, everybody, no people who never talked to me were coming up to me. I was like, what's going on, you know? Yeah. And then my uncle says, you know, Bill Clinton is calling you. I'm like, what? And he goes, he's calling you. You got you got accepted. You're supposed to go to America. And I'm like, no, I'm not. He goes, come get the paper. I said, open the store tomorrow. He goes, no, no, no. Come back on Monday. So I go early in the morning, get the paperwork. And, of course, there's a lot of requirements. But I also need two uh, text, text returns of two prominent business people, people who are in that caliber who would sponsor us. And that was a daunting task. And we had a deadline. You had only so many days to find one. So, you know, again, God, you know, he puts people in your path. Now, there was a guy in, you know, Dar es Salaam is a very small town with everybody has their own stores and it's like a general store that happened you know, that looked like the early early stores and you know the western movies that we see and he used to watch he used to read this newspaper and he had read in one of the newspapers that was a curriculum that this one city in california was looking for people to come and just populate that city and he went I mean, everybody, it's like everybody knew how my how difficult my life was because I had sisters-in-law from hell. And, uh, you know, my husband was older and I had four kids and, you know, things were not aligning the way they should be after so many years of marriage. And so he said, 
he went to some other lady's place to get all the publications that she had uh, collected. And he sat in his store and he started reading. Now, this is without my knowledge. And he found the number, the phone number and the address of these people who had put in this little ad that they want people in Bakersfield, California. And he came to my house and he goes, call these people. I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and he told me the story. And I was like, truly, God wants me to go. My husband was like, I'm not going to America. He said, if you don't want to go, it's fine. I gave up my chance to go to UK to study law. This is my chance to take my kids and go. So I'm going to go. This is happening. Oh, my God. It was the worst six months of my life. And worst because it was so worrisome. My father was sick. He passed away. You know, and my aunt told me that if I didn't go to America, she would give me all her inheritance. <laughs> That's kind of attractive. That, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I said, no, no, I'm going to America. You guys married me off the first time. I'm no, no, this is happening. I'm not going to sit here and just waste my time. And, you know, I came. It was June 28th of 1995. 24, 24 years ago. Yes. Yeah, big day. So you still remember. So you flew straight to California and you went. Uh, oh, yeah. So we, oh, this, this is so much fun. So go from um, from uh, Dar es Salaam to London. We had about an eight hour stop. From there, we went to, uh, we came to California, Los Angeles, did the paperwork. We missed our little plane that we were supposed to take to Bakersfield. I mean, communication is a big thing. If you're going to have people come over, give them enough information. We didn't know there was a bus that went from L.A. to Bakersfield. We didn't know that. So we had to take a flight because we had to get to Bakersfield. We lost the some of the luggage was lost. And you know, it was just amazing. But we got to Bakersfield. And here I am. <laughs> then, the other, then the other journey began. So that's quite a story, you know. And, and what I'm getting out of what you're telling is that every single step, no matter if it's difficult or smooth, they all lead us to these places. And the thing about you, Manir, that I get is that you, your mind's made up. You know who you are and it took you a while to get there and you know what you want and you went after it to the United States. And that that's brave because I think you make me feel about my, my grandmother and my grandfather who did the same thing. They had courage. They got on a boat many years before you came here, but but they got on a boat. They they had this this vision, this dream to make it to America, and they did. So you're like the you're like in another original American pioneer to come here the way you did. And and kudos to you. And and I'm glad you're here. So and thank yeah. you. You know, this country has just opened up so many doors. Things that I never could have done back home. I feel so liberated coming here. But it took me time. It took me three years to figure things out. You know, I had to study. I had to learn. I mean, I can talk about the blunders I did when I came here. What was the biggest blunder you did? What was just, you know, what, what, something funny, something funny. What did you do? So when I first came here, you know, they said, they told us, uh, people in the church here, the people, you know, people there, so you have to learn how to drive. Driving is essential. Now, we come from a place where driving is on the right-hand side. The driver sits on the right-hand side. Right. 
Here, things are different. Everything is different. Even the switches go up and off. You know, it, up is on uh, and then down is off. And, you know, it's different in other, other countries. Just America has to be different. <laughs> so I stood there at the crossroad and just watching people. Now, there are people who are making a right turn when the light is red. And people who are just standing there who are not doing anything. Then I'm just standing there, just innocent bystander, doing nothing. And a cop comes up to me and he goes, ma'am, you need to cross. And I'm like, but I don't want to because <laughs> this man has been waiting there for you to cross and you're not crossing, but I don't want to. <laughs> no, but if you're standing right here, he knows that you want to cross, so you have to cross. And it's like... Really? I have to cross even when I don't want to, but I'm just watching people drive. He goes, what planet did you fall from? (laughs) (laughs) Tanzania. At that time, the movie Lion King was out. Yeah. And I said, he goes, what do you mean Tanzania? I said, you know, Lion King that was made in my country. (laughs) So he goes, oh, okay, but you need to cross. (laughs) So he made me cross. So then I stood away from the curb just to watch people ra- drive. So those are the things that happened. You know? Isn't like- that funny how the small things that we don't think about? And, and, you know, you said something, Americans want to be different. And, you know, yeah, now that you mention it, it's true. You know, I don't know why, but maybe it is the entrepreneurial spirit. Maybe it is the freedom. Maybe it's something we can't quantify. This is a country where... I see so many opportunities. This country has has opened its arms to immigrants. Everybody that came here is an immigrant, regardless, first generation, second generation, third generation. I don't care. Even the president himself is like a third generation immigrant. However, what I want to say to you is that people who are born here are so blindsided with the materialistic and stuff that they take for granted, they don't don't see the opportunities in this world, in this country. You know, when you live in a third world country, when you have come from a place where there is less abundance and more scarcity, you see this place as a gold mine. And people don't realize what they're sitting on when they are living in this country. It's so amazing. You know, Manera, that is such an amazing point that you just said, because, you know, I used to lead guided trips to South America. And what I found out in that journey was most Americans think that the rest of the world lives like we do here in the States. And it was always a culture shock. You had a culture shock coming here from Tanzania. But for me to take those Americans to like Bolivia, it was a culture shock for them. And they were like, holy cow. And when they would get back to the United States something you just pointed out, they looked at the lifestyle so much. They looked at it differently. And we do take a lot for granted. I'm guilty of that sometimes too, because you can be mesmerized by opulence and you can have it now and you can order it now and it can come to your doorstep and nine to five and everything's beautiful and fast cars and big houses. They're all great things. But if we put our value in those, we're missing out on something, aren't we? Yes, we are. I'll give you an example. My husband is sick now. He has had his 
own business for almost 38 years. He is a commercial HVAC guy who worked on machines that you see on 7-Eleven and grocery stores, freezers and stuff. So he would have to go up the roof, down the roof. Summer, I've been married to this man for seven years now. And summers were things of a past because we never enjoyed them. Uh, days when he would be off, he would be resting because he worked like a literally a donkey. I would hardly see him because he would leave at five in the morning and come back at three in the morning. <laughs> you know, it's amazing that he never took care of himself because he needed to make that money in that time frame to live his lifestyle, right? But for what? Because he never enjoyed it. I mean, we had a deck and we never enjoyed it because he was never there. Yeah, yeah. Blinded by the the hamster wheel. Yeah. So the thing, what I, I now tell people is, is this something you really need? And, you know, I don't know if you know, but two months ago we downsized and we purchased a condo. So we sold the big house and we purchased a condo. And I am the most happiest person because I have everything here. I don't have to climb stairs to get something from the bedroom. I just walk down like 10 steps and get it. But it's the most amazing feeling. You don't need a big stuff. Take that money that you're occupying and spending on other things and use it for making memories. Like go for an ice cream, go for a walk. Go for a trip somewhere. I don't know. I mean, that's just who I am right now. <laughs> that's happening. I, I think that's fantastic. And I think, you know, what you're saying is enjoy the moment you have now. That, you know, th- what's truly important and which is one of the biggest reasons all of these formative things that you've done has brought you to become a guide for others, if you will, you know, as the nav, as the niche navigator, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Tell us how you fell into that role of helping others find their places in their lives. So I married my second husband thinking, you know, he's, he's about to retire. We're going to have so much fun, no work, you know, more play, all that good stuff. But, but, you know, the universe and God had another plan because he started getting sicker and diabetes started taking over. And last year, what started out as a routine checkup, mm. you know, has became, you know, a fact that he needed to have dialysis and is now on a kidney transplant list. And, you know, so it's progressing and now he needs a knee replacement. So, I mean, all of these things. Right. But as he as we were finding out about his diseases, that meant um, he would have bouts of throwing up where he couldn't stop and I would have to be at the hospital with him. Mm. So I was working in a corporate American job and I loved my job. I was traveling so much and I was just enjoying it. But then the lawyers, the office that I worked with, the lawyers, they said, oh, if you're not here, you can't work remote. I was used to working remotely. So they changed my role. And then they expected me to sit and they tied me to a desk, which was not feasible for me. And I had to make a long decision, a thought decision of think about the fact that, hey, what is it that I want? And in the time that has brought me to this job and over the years, I had trained so many people and had so many people under me, 30 people at any given time. I had built teams and I had helped people find their own niches 
without knowing this was something I could do as a business, you know, I realized that I needed to find some coach mentor to help me make this plan happen. And I found John Maxwell. I loved his teaching, although he talks about leadership, but he has so many points that you can put and plug elsewhere in life. And as I started talking to other people, I realized that they weren't sure of what they wanted. They had a toolbox, but none of them knew how to implement or create their own creation, if you will. It was like, give yourself a Lego, and then you have to follow what everybody else is doing, because Lego comes with a map, right? Make this spaceship, and this is going to how it's going to be. Why can't you just go out and break the rules and make something else? And that's what I help people. You have the Lego box. You have the toolbox. Go make your own creation. Why do you have to follow what everybody else is doing? You know, you're so, that's a great question. And, you know, we read all of these statistics and all these studies and, you know, we wonder why there's so much anger and resentment out there at times. And I think you just touched upon something. I think it's because the purpose may not be there for that particular individual. And you don't have to be like everybody else. And I feel like if you're not, if you don't really know your purpose or your mission in life, I feel that you stay in this perpetual state of uneasiness and anger, maybe, and and resentment. And that's why you've been placed here, because I'm convinced that God, we talk about God, right? But I'm convinced that God places human beings here for specific purposes because of their skills. And you obviously... Manira, you've got a life that has taught you things that are going to help you help others. And, you know, that being said, tell me, and we read 85% of people are unhappy, right? Or, you know, all oh, that, yes. you know, and, and what are three things, three very briefly without giving away the entire program, but what are three things people can do in their, in their, in their lives right now where they can figure some of this out? If somebody's out there listening, man or woman, it doesn't matter. If you're unhappy, these are three things that Manira can recommend, like you can do right now. So the first thing is, uh, you know, many in, in Forbes did a study on this, right? He said, they said 70. And people had to do a, a study on happiness. Can you imagine? <laughs> but they did. And so 70% of the people in the world are not happy where they are in life. So how do we fix that? So the first thing they have to do is evaluate, not what everybody else wants, but what you want to do. So the first question to ask is, are you happy with what you are doing right now? The basic question, if you're unhappy, why? And this is not something you think about, or it doesn't, it should not take you more than three seconds to answer a yes or no question. That's the, that's, that's the bottom line. Because we're not asking you, to quit your job and do something else. We're asking you to evaluate and take an honest look at what you do. If you enjoy it, go for it. Go do it some more. But if you don't, then figure out what it is that you want to do. That's step two. And if you're going to do that, can you do that every single day? Like some people say, I'm going to go sit on a beach. When you go to the beach, they sand in your toes. It gets everywhere. 
the sun, you have to put suntan lotion. Some people don't like sun. Some people don't like putting the, the lotions on their face. So now is that something ideal that you would do that every day? So that's the third question. And if you can answer these questions, and you know, then you can start evaluating where you want to go from there. I love that. You know, and it's, and you know what, what's really cool about that, Manir, is that it's simple. Are you happy? Why aren't you happy? What do you desire to do? And would you be happy doing that every day? I mean, again, I think I've had goosebumps like three times already, but that, but that, that's, it's so simple. It's ridiculous that people don't do that. They don't, you know why they don't do that? It's because they are fearful. There you go. See? That's the fear. It's like, even when I was doing it, like when I lost my job, when they told me, okay, we have to make a decision. So you're now not going to be in a job. That was fear. What am I going to do? I have to have a paycheck. But so then you start evaluating. Like three days ago, I was in the car. I'm driving a lot these days. But uh, I read in the, I heard that, uh, Amazon said that 70% of the sales of the people, what were people doing? They were doing shopping. They were shopping online, Amazon's. This is Amazon's study. And what were they buying? Just stuff. They were just buying stuff. Now, so why do we need so much stuff? And that's where our money is going, right? So we want more. Yeah, we, it's like instant gratification. Gratification, yes. We want more because we want more because somebody else has something like that. You know, my son bought an, a home echo something. I don't know, Google echo. And they go, they go uh, Google, hey, Google, what time is it somewhere else? You have a phone, use it. Oh, no, it's easier and faster. Here are the top search results. Ooh, see? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I have to. You know, what's that other one? There's another one you can. There's like three Alexa. robots. Yeah, Alexa. Alexa, is it raining in Brooklyn? Here you are in Florida asking it. You know, what difference does it make? It's like an information overload, you know? Yeah. So you, you, you have that. Why don't you just go to the computer and figure it out? Or there are some people who have this machine in our hands. We have a phone that we spend $700 worth of that we don't use it. And somebody will ask me, how much is this much money in India? If I spent $50 in the United States, how much, can you not Google that? <laughs> I know I hear Google you. Google it. It's like, yeah, it, it, you know, we just talked about this. The more technology, you know, what did people do 100 years ago, you know? I, so I started the library. <laughs> exactly. So I was asking my wife, you know, a couple months ago, you know, when did things really start to change between us? Right. When did things really elevate sometimes to not very good places? Right. And she and we started thinking it was right when we got our first laptop, because then rather than living the life, it seemed like we were constantly on the laptop constantly on the laptop it's you know which is a good thing it's a tool you can use but it seemed like it really took you away from things that seemed maybe more important it's a balance i think i think it's balance you know it's funny you say that because yesterday i was uh, you know to unwind i just flipped the channels and i don't have cable in my house so i just get the antenna tv <laughs> one of the channels is the funny one and it's all about jim 
And, you know, they're bidding on a helmet that he wants and his wife is buying it. So they're bidding against each other without them knowing it. And they start having a conversation. And Jim thinks that he's talking to a guy who is, uh, you know, understanding of his feelings. But he's actually his wife. So we become so aloof and we are so disconnected that we need to chat with our spouses on the, you know, on a computer to be, to understand what exactly their feelings are instead of sitting down and talking about it. Wow. You know, you, you know, when every single one of us has been to a restaurant where there's a family sitting down or a group of business people where every single one of them is not engaged in conversation, which you just said, human interaction, and they're all on their cell phones. You know, there are restaurants now that are saying, leave your cell phone at the front door so you can come in and enjoy your meal and have great conversation with your friends or family. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I do the same thing when I have my family over, especially at my house. If they're all here, there's 28 of us when they all come. We are all talking or playing a game or something. But if the, the minute somebody gets on the phone, I tell them, <clears throat> give me your phone. I just pull it out of their hands and I say, if you want it, give me $10. There you go. That's a good solution. So where do you see yourself? We don't know the future, but if you could, if you, where do you see yourself in five years? What do you hope to do with the niche navigator? What would you like to see happen? As I impact more people in life and change their way of thinking, I'm hoping that I have touched at least 5,000 people in five years The fact also is that I'm writing books as well. And so I want to be on stages and talk about this because I think this has to be being a niche navigator hasn't just come, you know, let me go back to where it all started from. When I first came to America, I got my first computer within six months was like the old DOS thing. And it was, you know, type yes or no. And I didn't know where to go from there. And I met Mr. Blue and he said, well, why don't you just give me your stupid computer and I'll give you a Windows. And it had like icons and things that I could see and colorful and oh my God, that worked. So I gave him the old computer, bought this one. And then America Online came, happened, right? Everybody had that. We had to have a modem, all that good stuff. You've got mail. You remember that those days, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so I, I started working and then somebody introduced me to Yahoo Chats and I met a guy and he was hell he helped me one configure the modem but he had heard my voice on the phone and he was genuinely interested on who I was and where I came from what I did and he just became a angel in the cyberspace if you will I've never seen him I've never talked you know we've talked a few times on the phone but we always chatted online And he taught me a lot of things, right? And he pushed me to go to school to get my, I hadn't had any, uh, you know, any advanced degrees or anything, but he pushed me. So I got my two associate degrees, my bachelor's degree and my master's degree. But what he told me at one point was he has, he was a theater major and now he was working in IT. At that time, 24 years ago, it was easy to just get into that realm because you had some knowledge of computers. It, for me, from, for, for, from another country, another continent, it was like whatever you went to school for is what you have to do in life. 
But in America, people who went to school for psychology don't do psychology stuff. They do something else, right? And that happened. And then my kids went to school. My first daughter was very, very smart. She went to school. She did all of the, she was very focused. Second one was, I want to do this and I'm going to do this. And the third one got into pharmacy school and became an aesthetician after that. So it's like, wait, why are you spending my money that I don't have so much of and in education that you're not attaining that you should be doing, right? Right. Of course, there's regrets later on. But how many parents are doing the same thing? How much money we have so, as a country, we are in so much debt because of student loans. And the federal government is not ready to forgive any of it. But those people who have paid into or asked for the loans have no clue of what they are doing. So Niche Navigator, I think, stemmed from there where, you know, you need to have a focus. Stop spending your money where just because, you know, again, the whole thing is money, right? It's all about money. But this is money that your parents are working towards. Many people will say, I put myself through college. Are you exact doing exactly what you do? You know, we think of adults. Adults in this country is 18 years old. Adults in any other country is 35 plus. That's an interesting point. And, I, and I, you know what? That's probably more realistic than here. Yeah, see, most people live in joint families in, you know, in India, in Africa, because it it's, it helps the household, it saves money. You know, you don't pay two electricity bills now. You're paying one. You know, and you yeah, work yeah. as family. The kids are brought up in a family environment. They know what the grandmothers and that's a different story and a different this thing. But here in this country, at, at 18, the kids don't know how to balance a checkbook. And when I put my kids through college, they would say they wouldn't give me their grades. And I said, you'll take my money, but you're not going to give me the grades. Why? How is that possible? Well, because they're 18 and they have privacy. What privacy? So I made my all my kids sign a paper that allowed me to see their grades and talk to their teachers. Because that was something I wanted to do. I, if I'm going to pay for your education, then I want to be part of it. I don't want to be throwing away my money. But that's the point, right? Is like people change their majors. Oh, I'm going to take one quarter off. Guess what? Once you decide to take a quarter off, you're not going back to school. You're going to finish a whole year taking that whole year off. Yeah. So that money that you are trying to save or put into this education is not going to work. But if we teach our students to be cognizant of one money, to figure out what the niche is, what is it that you want, and follow these three steps. They may not be adults, but they have some kind of a clue. And why don't we just take them through that path? So I want to see this niche program implemented in some of the schools, at least high schools, That's, to allow the students. You know, you're cutting through so much red tape, and you're right, it is economics, and Gosh, imagine that because, you know, I went to school for restaurant and hotel management and I did that for three years. And then after three years, it's not what I went on to do. And imagine if I had known 
when I went away to school, I was 18, like we know. And imagine if I had had a Venetian Navigator program had been in effect, how much money I could have saved and how much more fulfilled I could have been and how much better of an employee I would have been to somebody because it's something I really wanted to do. That's a fantastic idea, really. So that's where I want to be in five years. It's a slow work in progress because I'm balancing the business building plus my husband. But I'm sure that as I push through, I'm going to be successful. You know, it's not just, I don't want people to just take the course to take the course. I want them to see the course as becoming aware of how this could possibly change their lives. Munir, how can people get more information about the, your course, The Niche Navigator? And also, how can they find out about Munir's musings? How can they tell us how we get to you? <laughs> so I am very reachable. There's only one Munir as a hobby in the world. That's true. As far as I know, <laughs> so far, I check, I check periodically. So there's only one. <laughs> and so I can be found on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Munira's Musings is my show where I bring in niche uh, people with niches to talk about how what their entrepreneurial journey was because everybody has to go through that journey and let's spell that too m-u-n-i-r-a-z-a-h-a-b-i yes and it has it has a beautiful ring to it and you are the only one on the planet and and making some really nice things happening for others so that's pretty cool and I, I, I applaud you for your candor and your honesty and your journey because that's what makes you truly unique and, and able to do the things that you love to do. And I know, you know, the, I know this is audio only and you can't see Manira, but you can see her if you go on YouTube and those things. But she sparkles and whenever she starts to talk about people, there's something about her that's extremely authentic and believable. And so it's enlightening to know, despite the fact that we're using these technologies, it's, it's nice to know that, that there's others like you out there who see the benefit of, uh, of being focused and, and, and helping others, which is really what it's all about. It is. And, you know, I am willing to sit down and work, uh, you know, have a 30 minute strategy session with anybody. It's a free strategy session. And I help them at least find that path because that's the most important thing. It's like, you know, I hear when I used to work in corporate, I used to hear so many people say, it's never a good day. Why even, why am I even working today? Or, you know, you tell, say good morning to them and they'll say, what's good about it? And it's like, why are you even working? Go stay home in bed. You know, I like people. I just am very, I'm a very curious person. And I think part of the reason is that I wanted to create Munira's Musings is because I can ask them questions on on my show where they can brag about themselves and it's nothing to do with I'm going to take your idea and run with it no it's share your experience because there's somebody out there who needs to listen to it absolutely I couldn't agree with you more you know 200 percent a thousand percent um do you have um do you have a like a mantra like a personal Munira mantra that you live by every day is there something that you believe in 
every day. You know, I believe fear is always going to be there. It's a cloud that's going to lurk around you. The only way to get rid of it is to become clear. So the mantra is you will get rid of the fear if you become clear. I love that. That you no know, the goosebumps number 5 ladies and gentlemen, you know. And when you feel those, it really it's the spirit. You know, the spirit of Munira is coming through the airwaves and I've never heard it said like that and uh and it's true. It is because you know as I sit there and, you know, how you, you, if I could write a whole book on how I overcame fear, you know, the fact that all the, all the trials and tribulations that I have gone through have brought me here. It's easy for me to say this. I can face death even now without blinking an eye. I, I, I'm not heartless, but I can handle situations without feeling flustered. I, I I was at a at a friend's place and her husband was having a stroke right there in front of me within six minutes of me being there, and she got so flustered she didn't know what she was doing, and I was able to calm everybody down, take care of the situation, send them off to the ER, and then I had I, I felt overwhelmed at that time, but you know I'm able to do those things. It doesn't come without practice, but the 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 minute you let fear take over you're done you're done so you have to harness that fear and say you know what fear i'm gonna put you in a bag right now just this is for later it's like having a child and say okay later we'll talk about this later let me just handle the situation right now and it take it comes with experience so i know people who are listening are gonna say it's easy for you to say no it wasn't but you have to handle each one. I mean, I could write a whole story. I mean, my story is so amazing. Sometimes I wonder about that. It's like I'm going to write my story one day. And, and you know, having myself come on these shows, it's I'm sharing a little bit part of my life, and that allows me to say, you know, I can write my story. I'm ready for it. One day, it's going to be a bestseller. <laughs> Absolutely, it's going to be a bestseller. I'm really, you know, intrigued. You talk about curiosity, but I'm, I feel the same way that I'm just curious about things. And many times the things that we were taught weren't necessarily the truth. And I, I get a strong inclination that you come from a place of divine truth. And, it, and it's not cliche, ladies and gentlemen, it's real because that's what lights are all about human lights and that's what you are and and i i really and i don't just blow smoke i'm i am humbled and honored that you know that we we found each other and i know that we're we're going to have a lifelong relationship in some aspect or another and that makes me happy today so yeah you know you, you made me think of something yeah you know laugh at fear in the face and you'll become the greatest comedian ever you know and you know, so it just all of these things that we used to just think were just idioms, they mean something. And and you mean something and the niche navigator means something. And I have all the confidence in the world that you're going to continue on this path and it's going to be a wonderful life. And for those that come across your your path, it's going to be it's going to be wonderful. So is there anything else that you would like to say for this particular conversation that maybe you haven't said, but you want people to know? Each person out there is unique. Each person out there is special. 
And I believe that you have a purpose in your life, in life. You have been sent here by divine, whoever you believe has sent you here for some kind of purpose. You're not just here to live a life. You're here to make an impact. So let's find that purpose and create that impact. Because you know what? If one person can make an impact and cause a ripple, think about all those people who can create a wave. That's number one. Number two is we need this. In this time of uncertainty uncertainty in our life, we are, you know, there's so many talks about wars and impeachment and all of those things that are happening in our country, in the world today. I feel that one person can make an impact, like this girl called Greta, Greta, who is who is uh, vocalizing her opinion about environmental. Um, uh, it's in the papers. It's everywhere. Yeah, she's doing. She she's making sure that global warming is real, and she's now help having all these. United Nations and all of the leaders of the world realize and recognize that this is something happening. It's just one voice. Now, if she can do that, then how about we all join hands and create a positive impact? Because it starts with you. You become happy. You can emanate this happiness to everybody else. And you know what? Just keep smiling because it keeps people wondering what you're up to. I like that. Well, I... I <laughs> I'm going to be smiling all day now. So, well, thank you, Manira, for being here on Task Force Zen Radio. You know, you are the ultimate, what I would say, impact uh, multiplier. And and a lot of the words that you said today resonate. And I just appreciate you for it and, and so honored to have you on the show. So, thank you for having me. You know, God bless you. And I know I'll be seeing you and I'll be smiling all day and I'll be thinking about you. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Task Force Zen Radio. Through education, we will raise global awareness, create more balance, perpetuate human healing, and diminish suffering in our world because humankind matters. 